I do like that, you know, through connection and it doesn't have to be a psychedelic experience. It can be sexual or it can just be an emotional, intimate conversation. You can begin to recreate that sense of tribe. Mm. Hi guys. This podcast explores the importance of our connection, well-being, and mental health. To reason with someone is to motivate them to do or accept topics, ideas, and issues through discussion and having conversations. This podcast is for those that want to raise their awareness, change their perspective, or just have a good time. My vision is to help people find reason to live, to grow, and to understand. I do that through this podcast, as well as counseling individuals that want to help themselves. No, no, no. No, he needs to know. I just think he's gonna talk and it's gonna make a lot of sense. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. One man. One podcast. Three, two, one. Reason with me podcast, episode 12. It's time! Welcome back, guys. Reason With Me podcast has been such a fun season to pick people's brains and talk about a few guests on the podcast. Today, I am talking to an old friend that I used to work with, and I loved watching him work as a therapist, but also being able to, I guess, collaborate in some group therapy with Nick and and experience the ability to connect with people in in a really awesome and, and different way to what a lot of people uh, might think, and I think he explains that so well. So I'm super excited to have Nick on the podcast. Nick Rue is a mental health counselor in private practice. He works in Sydney's Northern Beaches. Nick's worked in the disability sector, and he's worked with children in out-of-home care. He spent some time as a group therapist at a psychiatric hospital called South Pacific Private, which focuses on addiction and trauma uh, from eating disorders and mood disorders. Nick has a passion for connecting people and believes we are all products of the systems that we are created in. And in order to get well and improve, we all have to see things from a more systemic viewpoint. Nick is an overall awesome dude and really fun to get along with. And I love talking to him about anything and everything. And I'm hoping that you get a lot out of this podcast today as we start to pick Nick's brain about all things connection, well-being, and mental health with a little bit of a light on the psychedelic drug, um, drugs and the use of drugs in, in treatment. I hope you enjoy. All right, Nick, welcome to Reason With Me podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well, Jackson. Thanks for having me on. Man, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure and I'm glad that you can be here. So let's, let's dive straight on in. I want to know... Who the hell are you and what is it that you actually do? Well, you know, I really struggle with that question, if I'm honest. It's so broad. It's so open. (laughs) One thing that I've come to realize is that we, I, everyone, really complex beings, there's a lot that goes into making us, you know. I could tell you that I'm a counselor, which is true. And you might get an idea of the type of person I am and you may or may not be right. And in some situations you might be right. And then in other situations, I might be someone else. Uh, I was born here, uh, but I didn't live here most of my life. I was raised in Hong Kong and Holland, Europe and Asia. I lived in China for a bit, did a lot of traveling. 
So I picked up many pieces of culture uh, and, you know, kind of didn't really feel like I had a home. I'm what's known as a third culture kid. Mm. So I grew up culture alien to my own and then came back here as an adult and sort of reintegrated into Australian society. So there's that aspect. And then, you know, there's a philosophical side of me and, you know, and then there's a wounded side of me and then there's a funny side of me. And yeah, so mm. luck of the draw, which one you're going to get. Well, I hope I get a bit of each one in, in this podcast and explore all elements of, of who's in front of me now, which will be exciting. I hope so too. Hmm. So you said you're, you're a counselor and, and why don't you tell me a little bit more about that and what that's looking like for you right now? Well, I used to actually, you know, I don't know if the audience knows this, you'll probably say this in your introduction, but we met at South Pacific private we did? Uh, where I therapist. So I worked there for a couple of years. I did some group psychotherapy there and now I've branched out on my own. And for the last year or more, I've run a private practice out of DY. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's my full-time gig, even though it's not technically full-time, but that's all I do for employment. Um, you know, it's hard to really describe what I do. You know, essentially, my speciality, you, you know, when I was in the hospital was addiction and trauma. And I think a lot of that has followed me. So I still see a lot of clients that struggle with particularly trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably, I would say, my speciality or my area of focus. Mm. Yeah. And that's, um, that's why you're here. I think um, the, yeah, I guess knowing you, Nick, I know that uh, a lot of the experience and then just the different way that you approach people with trauma um, is so I guess inspiring but also hopefully moving into a place that a lot more people can take on and I think that's that integrative way that you you do with clients so t tell me tell me a little bit more about like your style you're telling me about okay um yeah I guess the um that's a brilliant question uh, so the style, if you will, that I, or the schools of thought that I draw from, that I find most of my inspiration from, that I consider to be highly effective in the fields of my heroes, they're more, um, I would say, interpersonal. So they, they don't sort of view the therapeutic connection between the therapist and the client as a hierarchy, as like, yeah, listen to me. You know, I'm the fucking therapist. I know what I'm doing and you bad client or you good client, well-behaved, you have to listen to it. It's not like that. It's, mm. it's very anti-authoritarian. It's very much like, it's not necessarily that the client is the expert either because I don't necessarily agree with that. It's like, otherwise, why are they coming for help? It's more like somehow in the connection, in the relationship itself, there is something that emerges. There's truth. There's... Uh, there's sort of a, an agreement and, an, and sort of in the connection that emerges between the therapist and the client, that's sort of where the magic is, where the work mm. is. And of mm. course, I'm very, um, I want to avoid using jargon here. Uh, my partner says I do that a lot and she gets lost. So I definitely don't want to lose your audience, you know, because when we go to uni, we learn a language and we expect that everyone understands that language. And mm. I want to be conscious of that. 
Mm. But I draw from a lot from what's known as psychodynamic uh, theory, which essentially for me was very revolutionary. It sort of is the idea that human beings are not um, uh, isolated individuals, you know, just sort of floating around islands unto themselves. They're actually sort of very complicated amalgamations of the systems and their their complex family history and their cultural history and their all, all kinds of complicated stuff like that. Mm. And so if someone's sitting in a room with me, we're going to look at the issue that they present, but we're probably going to do it by looking first at their history, at their past, at their relationships, at all of that stuff. Because that's usually for me where the magic is, where the where the wound, if you will, begins. Hmm. Does that make sense? Look, that's, I mean, that's essentially a big part of, of what I got from you when we were uh, colleagues is, is that view of uh, if a human comes into the room and, and sits in with this label already um, given to them, you can sit with them and go, that may be the case, but what, you make up is so different to every single other person that's ever identified with the same label. And that concept Uh is essentially saying they are, we are beings that are so much more complex than, than some uh, diagnosis. Yeah. I love that. So um, I know that later on you're going to ask me about a book, but I'm going to jump in now and talk (laughs) about a book because, because it's sort of, is really relevant. Are you cool with me disrupting the flow there? You may get two book opportunities and I'm okay with it. So please um, use one of your token books now. Sure. Sure. So, um, so two of my heroes in the field are creators of, once again, I want to avoid the complicated jargon, but, but a field that is sort of a combination of psychoanalysis and a philosophical school called phenomenology, which is sort of like the study of human experience, right? I don't want to get technical and I don't even claim to understand or be a smarty pants like that. I just, I like to read smart people and like basically just, you know, hack their stuff. But the guys, the two guys who created this field called intersubjective psychoanalysis, their name is, the names are Robert Stolaro and George Atwood. And they have been writing books for three or more decades, basically, uh, just sort of talking about, you know, the stuff, basically what we just said, yeah, that when you sit in the room with someone, you're not sitting with a label, you're sitting with a person. And the way that you as a therapist interact with the person is going to determine the way in which the person responds. So in this book that they wrote, one of many, it's called Structures of Subjectivity. They refer to a previous book by a colleague that they admire. And and he basically makes the case that when uh, you get a group of people that that approach uh, someone with so-called borderline personality disorder in the way of, let's say, someone named Brandshaft, you know, just a random name, a a brilliant guy in the field, suddenly the pages of Brandshaft's work on borderline patients come alive to you. And then when you approach the same type of client from the perspective of a different genius in the field, suddenly their pages come alive to you. In other words, the, the way that the patient that you treat the client or the patient is going to be the way in which they respond to you. Mm. So the, the relationship itself is actually what's manifesting. So um, I guess if, 
you know, I think because we both worked in a psychiatric sort of hospital, I can use that as an example. If someone with an addiction comes in and I'm chastising them all the time and I'm like, you know, you just got to, you just got to like, you're just a bad person and you just got to stop doing this and you, and I become really authoritarian, right? They're going to, that is most probably going to be mimicking something from their family history. And they're going to respond to me in a way in which both reflects the current relationship with me, but also the past relationship. And I'm basically going to bring out in them a response that's either another authoritarian response where they try to big up me, which I think is fair enough, or a response of sort of obsequiousness or like submitting. And, and you know, essentially, and that was one of the, so I know I'm ranting and rambling here, but essentially that's one of the issues that a lot of therapists have with addiction counseling is that it's authoritarian and mm. that people who have addictions are no different than anybody else. It's the way in which we treat these people that determines their response. And of course, it's not all on the therapist. It's a two-way connection. But mm. does that make sense at all? Absolutely. Or have I, I mean, you, you tell me if, I, if I'm getting it right. It, essentially, we're breaking it down into the fact that you and them uh, essentially are doing a dance. And to be able to do that properly, you've got to learn how to be with each other and learn how to connect with each other and learn how not to step on each other's shoes and and all that sort of thing. So it's always about the relationship that you're building between them rather than, um, you know, the type of treatment that needs to happen. It's, it's purely right. we interrelate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a beautiful summary. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> no, I think, um, I mean, that's exactly how I've, I've developed as a therapist myself. You know, that's exactly what I think. And, and I still get to this day, people that go, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing this type of treatment? Why aren't you doing this modality? It's like, because I'm being a human with that person. I love that. And that's, yeah. that's, that's just it. And, you know, there are, there are sure there is evidence for, uh, you know, relationship-based counseling and, and that sort of thing. But really like, this is how I interrelate with you and this is how we connect. And that's, the only way I'm going to start to unravel what's going on for them. Mm. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Jackson. I, uh, I really like that. Uh, too often, um, you know, I don't want to rag on capitalism because, you know, where capitalism is, is helping us have this conversation, but too often relationships become commodified, you know, and, and I am the salesman and you're the product or vice versa and, and relationship, you know, I believe humans evolved in tribes for connection. And I believe that that evolutionary response is still with us mm. and that it, 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 in that programming gets sort of disrupted by certain social systems that are very detrimental. So I really like that. That's mm. really good. We're like, like we're individualistic. Like we are just yeah. very to ourselves now and we don't have the same tribe community base as we used to i think evolution yep. like you said makes sense but you know we we are capitalists we are individualistic now and that tears apart connection as a whole yeah and there's a lot of historical very complicated reasons that i don't claim to understand as to why that happened um but it absolutely is a reality and uh and a very detrimental one that i think if we don't turn around by the end of the century we may not have a future so that's a happy note to to add into the uh into the little mix there 
Oh, yeah. So you'll have to uh, keep listening if anyone's listening right now because it will get better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe I'll, I will take it. I'll take a turn because doing this work, man, like once you get into the core of that, that work, you are, you are such an important part of that relationship and that thing that you build. And, and especially with some of the things that they're bringing, the presenting concerns and then all of the history that come with it. Like that's, Hectic, man. That's really, really, you know, fatiguing, exhausting. There, there comes a lot with that. So, where do you think you pull your strength from in order to do the work that you do? Mm. Yeah, I'm just sitting with the the weight of that question. It's actually really weighing heavily on me. I, uh, in a good way, I really like that question, Jackson. And. The answer, I'm sorry, is complicated again, but uh, I, have, I have practices that I do and I don't do them regularly enough. But one of the things that I do is if I've just finished with a really, and by the way, I'm not advocating this universally. Not everyone has to do what I do, right? This is my thing, you know, and if yeah. it doesn't work for you. But one of the things that I do if I've just finished a session that's particularly heavy is I I pretty much just go into my bedroom and I lie down and I just focus on the feeling. Like I don't try and distract myself from it. Mm. I don't try and run away from it. I just try to, to feel it as much as I can. And eventually it does move away. Mm. But you know, that's not the, I don't always do that. And that's not the only thing I do, but that is a practice that I try to get my clients to do as well. I believe in a transformative power of feeling feelings and learning where they came from. Mm. Uh, but another thing, and the most important thing for me is if I really am struggling with something, I have a few people in my life who over years I have tested and and refined and they're people that I can reach out to and be vulnerable with. And I can, I can be like really angry and be like, man, I'm so frustrated with this person. Or I can just be like, you know, a sook and be like, ah, you know, I'm just, I'm just sad. Like I'm just upset and they will just hold me. They'll just validate. They'll just hear it. They won't sort of be like, well, chin up, you know, it's not as bad. You're not as bad as the kids in Africa. It just, yeah. They're just going to be like, yeah, you're right. That shit. And that person shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, I feel you and I love you. And that's what I need. And I think that's what we all kind of need. Mm. So mm. yeah, between those things and, you know, I have a beautiful relationship, uh, my partner's name is Gina and that gives me a lot of strength. Yeah. It's relationships and feeling for me. That's, that's what's important. Mm. Feeling emotions. Yeah. It all, I think it all comes back to that. If you break it down, it all comes back to those emotions and if we can't have those emotions we can't have functional relationships so um yeah that's yeah that's great that's really really i mean yeah it is it is a loaded question and i guess that's that's um awesome that you're able to sort of come up with with what you said because it's it's not a simple answer and i think it's so different for everybody and you need a lot of it you need a lot of resilience to do to do this sort of work which um yeah, it's, it's empowering and, and inspiring that you do that sort of thing to get by and continue to do that, that awesome work. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I don't have my, my like periods of just saying I hate this and, and I'm burning out or my periods of just loving it. And, uh, you know, I, I think just like any job, it has its ups and downs, but therapy is a very unique calling. I think mm. you're right about that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's sitting with those emotions, um, which are good or bad or up and down. And just with that self-compassion sounds like that's what you implement into that is being okay that you're having those things happen for you. hundred percent. That's vital. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I got you on to, to the podcast, Nick, because, um, I know you've, you've spoken a couple of times at, um, what would you call the it? Australian Psychedelic Society? Australian Psychedelic Society, and, and you've been a part of a, a panel discussion and and discussing different things around okay. those those psychedelics. And I, w- I definitely want to I want to jump back into into that, but I, maybe I'll let pe- you explain what the hell I'm talking about in a much better definition than I can give. Yeah, yeah, beautiful man. Thanks. Uh, so. Yes, I through a mutual colleague at South Pacific, Karim, I, I became uh, acquainted with some of the founders of the Australian Psychedelic Society, and uh, they have run very they run various events, and they're very beautiful people and very you know they're lovely people, and um, they uh, you know frequently some of their events are documentaries where they'll sort of people will get a camera crew together and they'll film someone who's like in addiction or massive trauma or soldiers who've come back from war and they'll use, um, instead of using drugs the way we understand it, you know, like using drugs to escape that because, you know, not all drugs are created equally, you know, like everyone uses drugs, whether it's coffee or, you know, a pharmaceutical product, or even if you're sick, you take aspirin drugs are not the issue. It's the abuse and the use and abuse of them that is the issue. So psychedelics are a particular type of drug that, you know, I don't, I don't think I universally condone. I don't think everyone should do them, but for select uh, group of, for select groups of people and highly traumatized people for whom, for whatever reason, therapy isn't working, complicated reasons around that. Uh, yeah, certain, like, for example, magic mushrooms, which is, you know, the psilocybin is the active psychedelic component in that has been proven, you know, routinely in scientific studies to be quite beneficial in, um, in aiding people with, you know, certain types of PTSD, the same thing with ayahuasca, DMT is, uh, you know, the psychoactive component in that. And, you know, these drugs have been used by indigenous cultures for a while. Uh, and those guys have quite a bit of wisdom built into the fabric of their culture, you know? Um, so essentially I was asked to be on panels to sort of talk about as an Australian counselor, my perspective, my view on psychedelic assisted psychotherapy Mm. and what, what that might look like is, you know, you might be a war vet and you come back from the middle East and, you know, you've come back a different man or woman and uh, nothing is helping you. You know, you're in agony. Essentially, you and I, Jackson, would understand that as PTSD or trauma, right? But it's so bad that this person doesn't seem to be getting any relief anywhere. And, uh, you know, therapists like you and I, for whatever reason, aren't helping her. So what people in the States are starting to do um, under the guise of, you know, scientists and uh, psychiatrists and very well-trained therapists is these people will come into uh, an environment and they will take substances and uh, they will have a person sit with them and guide them for however long they need it. You know, some substances last six hours, some last uh, much longer than that. And in that process, like there's no predicting how the person's going to respond or what's going to happen. But a lot of people 
reports stark relief and um, very, shall we say, uh, healing experiences. Now, I don't believe in healing. Um, as a therapist, I prefer to use the word transformation. Uh, I don't think trauma exactly heals, and that's a conversation we can talk about some other time if you want. But I definitely think substances can um, assist in the transformational work of trauma. Hmm. Does that make any sense? So when you say transformation, and I imagine it's about uh, taking these um, psychedelic drugs in a very safe environment with a, uh, a specialist or you know, a, a therapist that they, they feel that they can, um, so that they essentially tap into that um, psycho-effective part of the drug that then allows them to go into the space. And when you say transform, it's starting to make a little bit of sense of that and release, release some stuckness. How's that? Yeah, I think that's probably one way to encapsulate it. You know, the issue uh, for me is that I'm, you know, I believe once again, that trauma is something that needs to be faced and confronted rather than sort of soothed away. Um, but I don't have a problem with therapists that have different perspectives with me. That's fine. That's the way they work. Um, one of the, I guess, and I just want to say as well that I don't engage in illegal activities with my clients. If they come to me, I will let them know that I don't do illegal things, but that if they ever have an experience and they want integration therapy, then they can come to me to integrate their experience mm. uh, because it's currently not legal in Australia to do this. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, that is the law. And, you know, just got to respect that. So, um, yes. One of the best stories that I heard uh, that really actually convinced me uh, the, of the benefit of psychedelics, you know, there's plenty of stories of people who have incredible healing and positive experiences, but I'm always a little bit wary of that because it sounds like spiritual bypassing to me a little bit. But one of the best stories I ever heard was uh, a guy who, uh, you know, trigger warnings if your audience needs it, I don't know, but his, his, his fiance recently committed suicide and you know he wasn't dealing with it and he took what's known as a hero's dose of mushrooms or psilocybin which is about five grams and he had the worst experience of his life it was terrible like he he was crying he was in grief he was in agony and all the other people who were with him were trying to help him and they, and they couldn't he just had to go through that and he said later on in an interview that it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he needed to grieve, he needed to feel the pain of his fiance's dying. And he did a lot of that work in the space of six hours. Now, that's not ideal. That can be, you know, that's, that can be intense and very unpleasant, or it can be beautiful and liberating and healing. There's really very little predicting what I believe what you're going to get out of the psychedelic experience. Mm. Now, there are people who work at the Australian Psychedelic Society names I can give you who know and have a lot more experience, I guess, in that world than I do, but that's what I have gleaned. Mm. And of course there are other stories of people who take it and they're, they've been stuck rigid in their trauma forever. And that gives them a new perspective and liberates them and sets them free to be a little more lucid, a little less rigid and a little more free. Mm. And, you know, there's a whole spectrum of things. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it, and it ties into, I guess, the crux of the, the question that I, that I have is, is, is if you were to reason with me and reason with my audience is 
why is those psychedelic experiences uh, so important in terms of our connection and our mental health and our overall well-being? We've touched on a few of those things, but mm. specifically with that, maybe what would you what would you respond with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I. I'm sorry to be such a pain in the ass, but I, I once again think that's complicated. I don't think that these experiences are for everyone. Mm. I certainly think that, you know, if you're heavily medicated, you should definitely check with a doctor before you have an ex before you take any drugs like this. Um, and if you have a history of psychosis or bipolar or anything, you want to avoid it uh, unless you've got a very trusted person who you're doing it with safe, mm. safety, safe, set setting and intention the people you're with all that stuff i cannot stress enough is super important so i'm not advocating the use of these some research if, definitely prior is, is right yeah. yeah don't just take it on a night out with the boys in the city you know like use your mind use your brain a little yeah. bit sure. but there are instances uh you know people report life change some people report life-changing experiences uh for the better some for the worse. And uh, I don't think it's an essential thing, but I think it can be something that is extremely liberating and beautiful. I have had the worst experiences of my life on psychedelics and I have had some of the best experiences on psychedelics as well. Mm. Um, I grew up in Europe, uh, in Holland. So over there, uh, that stuff is legal. And, uh, you know, I took my fair share of illicit substances when I was a teenager. So mm. yeah. Um, one of the things I guess that I had noticed or had noticed when taking these drugs is they can, they can usher you into an awareness of connection and things that, that you are, you do not know, or you're not consciously aware of most of the time. Right. And if you're taking it with someone who you trust and are safe with, you can reach levels of intimacy with that person that are quite beautiful too, that border on what some people might even call, um, you know, experiences of almost telepathy, like where you're almost reading each other's mind and thoughts and stuff like that, you know, just really interesting experiences. So, you know, like I said, not advocating the use of them. And if you're going to use them, be smart, but they can be, they can be horrifying and beautiful. And sometimes the beautiful isn't necessarily good. And sometimes the horrifying isn't necessarily bad. Hmm. Look, I think, I think the, some of the research and I'm not, I'm not fully uh, around a lot of it, but just in, just in terms of things like, um, you know, doing some ketamine trials with depression and stuff like that. Yep. We also use ketamine for, um, you know, high emergency impact situations. And, and it's obviously a dissociative based drug, which means that it's, it's putting you in a place that you don't have to either experience that straight away or so you can, you know, have a different perspective whilst you're on it to then essentially integrate or, or transform into that sort of thing. And I think that's sort of the way we're starting to do research is we're starting to get this idea that we don't have anywhere near as much evidence about the brain and how it works in how yep. we can actually start to understand attachment um, mm -hmm. or issues and, and, um, those core beliefs and then how that unfolds in our everyday life based on our history. I don't think we're anywhere near understanding that in, in its fullest. And I think that's why 
I wanted to talk to you about this because the parts that you explained about unlocking mm. a type of connection that we're not, we're not familiar with, or maybe mm. we used to be as, uh, you know, evolution crew when we were much more tribe based. Yep. Now it's, it's lost. And, and a lot of that is giving you access to some of those things. And yep. that's so interesting for me. And, and so, I said, I'm so, I'm so amazed of where we, where, where we can go with that. And, I, and that's why I want to pick your brain about this because I think the connection and the experience we can have can be, you know, not for everybody, but sometimes so nourishing and, and nurturing. hundred percent. I, I, I love, I love you saying that. Um, and I can tell from the way you're talking that you've had experiences with this stuff, which, which have been beneficial to you. Is that right? Hmm. there's definitely I've been mean, a whole world of um experience in my life that have been good and then been bad and some indulgent and some therapeutic and I think the access to do that in a in a in a way that is is like you said setting an intention that I am going to attempt this alternate therapy in order mm-hmm. to gain something is very different to I'm going to get smashed with the boys on a farm or whatever it is like it's yeah. the intention and your intention is to, I want to get more well, you know, look at any, any yoga retreat, look at any, all those alternative therapies where people, you know, intense, deep meditation. Um, people are trying to access that stuff because we're searching and longing for some sort of answer to give us liberation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think that, you know, to, to beat a dead horse, uh, so to speak, we are tribal and, uh, and a lot of us these days lack tribe. Um, mm. yeah, I think there's something very unwell in, in culture at large in this global culture that we've created. And, um, you know, you said earlier that we're only just beginning, you know, to discover stuff about the brain and attachment and all of that, which I agree with. I don't, I don't think that we know nearly as much as arrogant, um, scientists and philosophers and, etc i think we do and i like that i like that we don't know i like that we've lost this knowledge and i don't think that the society is ready to reclaim some of that knowledge i think we're too militant and uh dogmatic and controlling i think that it would be better to keep that knowledge in the hands of some indigenous people in the middle of the amazon for a while you know um but i i do like that you know through connection and it doesn't have to be a psychedelic experience. It can be sexual or it can just be an emotional, intimate conversation. You can begin to recreate that sense of tribe Mm. that we all sorely miss. And I think, I think just the, the experiences that I've had with you, Nick, when we've been in group together and what can happen once you break down all those dogmatic and and societal thinking and just get to raw humans um being with each other the the power of what that can create is is incredible Mm. and and uh, yeah that that sort of brings back that that power that people go oh my god i've never experienced this much connection in my life i'm so overwhelmed with how amazing this is and then Mm. it's like well that's the way it's supposed to be you know yeah a hundred percent that's right so what what would you say that the i guess the one of and, and maybe another example of, of a really positive or liberating experience that you've heard or or or, or done yourself or, or done with a client that that allowed them to access that connection and then saw some benefit in their well-being 
Uh, are you talking psychedelic or just any any um, experience at all? Maybe I'll, I'll stick with the the psychedelic for now. If you do have one, but I, I guess I'm more focused on what's that experience been after? What have they found when they've come back yeah. to the therapy and they keep coming back that you're then able to do that work with them? Yeah, I, you know, at the risk of, you know, not breaching confidentiality, of course, all of that, you know, goes without saying, I, I have had clients um, use psychedelics on their own um, and talk about it being the first time in their life that they were able to process their trauma, that they were able to feel pain or they, they felt safe enough to feel, you know, fear and they felt safe enough to cry. And mm -hmm. I find that to be fucking super beneficial. You know, mm -hmm. I find that to be great. The issue I have and I, and you know, I've got this little voice or part of me just niggling at me, always trying to get attention is that, you know, not everyone is going to have that experience. It's not a universal and you don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's like that feeling of when you're about when you're a kid and you get on a really scary roller coaster and, and you strap in and the straps come down. Once you're locked in to that thing, you have to ride that mm. roller coaster. And you know, it's not always a fun roller coaster. Sometimes someone's throwing up in front of you, you know, or you're losing or you've lost your phone or something like that. Or sometimes it's just the best fun ever because you and all your mates are riding it and you're all laughing and having fun, you know, like, so, yeah, I just want to stress that it's not a universal that everyone will experience this, but I have had clients for whom, for whatever reason, uh, their wiring, their, their complexity, their makeup, their genetics, all of that combining together combines to make a, mm. hey, this is the first time that I have ever been able to feel my pain or see my family trauma, cultural trauma, school trauma, whatever, from a different perspective. Mm. I find that to be super beneficial. Absolutely. And I think that, that's probably the, the key takeaway I think today, Nick, is, is when we can actually start to understand the benefits of different alternate, uh, alternative therapies and, and different experiences that, yeah, like we said at the start, there are a lot of people that are untreatable, as the science in the Western world would say. And we, right. can, we, we right. can leave them untreated and um, never being able to fulfill their, you know, a life worth living. Um, or, you know, they can start to explore and start to reach out to some of this alternative stuff, like the power of the body in, in some of these ways. So that psychedelic transformation that could be possible, you know, and then other alternative things like uh, song and dance and yoga, like all these new things yep. are worth discussing in this, in this forum, in this way, because... For totally. some people that might work and for some people that might be the only answer for them. Yeah. I really love that Jackson. There is no one size fits all. Let's be relational about this. You know, ancient cultures have employed all kinds of meditative yoga, you know, all kinds of breathing techniques, uh, you know, our forager ancestors, some of whom are still alive, um, and I hope that they remain that way. Uh, you know, typically a few times a week, we'll do a dancing ritual around a fire where they almost like merge sort of, you know, out of their body into this primordial kind of ooze state. And they, it's a way to cathart all of the issues in the tribe. And it's a way to combine, you know, it's a beautiful healing thing. And so, yeah, altered states of consciousness um, have been employed I guess as old as we are, you know, some anthropologists think 180 something, 350,000 years. Like we go way back, 
we go way back and most of that was tribal and uh, a lot of our conflict resolution and trauma work, so to speak, wasn't done with a Freudian couch. It was done with altered states of consciousness and a, and a tribe to support you. But I will say this as well. Nomadic hunter-gatherers don't typically exude traumatic uh, P- PTSD the way we understand it. Hmm. So that's, that's more a product of civilization than anything else, which is interesting too. So perhaps these things are emerging into our culture as a means, as another means to, to bring back that kind of awareness. Mm. And if that isn't a little dangle of the carrot for me to continue to get you back onto the podcast, Nick, because we could go down so many avenues with so much things because your brain works in ways that I just adore um, and the, the power yep. comes from it, man. So before, before we wrap up, uh, and we'll, let's take a little bit of a turn and wind down, I guess. Um, you mentioned before, Nick, about some of the things that I guess you pull your strength from and, and mentioned you know, how important it is to have those people around you and people that you can just get validation from and just be heard. And I think that's so important. But maybe more internally based with this question is, what do you do for your self-care? Like, what is that non-negotiable thing that's on board for you? And and look, it's it's never going to be just one, but what what would you say that is for you? What's non-negotiable? Yeah, look, uh, it's not just one thing. It's exercise. It's eating right. And it's it's making enough space. Like I've got to have, uh, you know, I have a partner who I love very much, but I've got to have a night or two to myself where I can do nothing. You know, I, I sit in front of the TV. I play PlayStation. I listen to podcasts and that's my chill out time. And mm-hmm. I love that. That's not negotiable for me. So, yeah. yeah. Purest answer. Very raw. And I love it. Um, now, I said that I'd give you another book that you can throw, throw at me. Sure. You mentioned the, the structures of subjectivity. Um, yeah. Now, what would be an, a go-to book that's something that's really inspired you, I guess, as a therapist or something that you think would really inspire other therapists? Okay. Yeah, I don't know about other therapists, um, but there's, well, a, there's a book. Not there. Maybe, maybe just anything in general that, that other people might I'm, be and stuff I know like. I'm very difficult. I, I'm sorry, Jackson. Well, this is what this is the point. This is this is the openness of the question. So you just run with it. So look, look. One of my one of the books. Like I go through patches where I'm obsessed with authors or books. And recently, I've been on um, obsessed with a guy. He's a Nigerian guy. His name is Bio Akamaleke. I don't think I said that right. I'm sure I butchered his name. How am I meant to his, say his name? <laughs> <laughs> but he's written a book right. called letters to my daughter um these wilds beyond our fences letters to my daughter on humanity's search for home and what i love about him is he takes all of the stuff that i have i'm interested in like you know uh, all the ideas of anthropology and civilization and all of the issues that we're struggling with and he talks about what a what deep shit we're in as people and he doesn't give any clear answers you know he actually asked us to look at the questions in different ways. And that I think is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Awesome. So oh, I'm not even going to try to repeat his name, um, but you could find that book and the first book on the website, website. Um, Amazon.com. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll put a link to that up there on my website, but uh, Nick, just the last question I have for you is, is where can people find you? Um, 
you know, you probably still harp on my clients at this stage because of the work you do sounds so amazing. But where, where can people find, um, find you and, and yeah, where, where can they go? Yeah, look, I don't want to steal your clients, Jackson. You know, okay. you, can, you can have some of mine. How about that? Well, oh, um, so my, my, um, my website is counselingwithnick.com um, and you can find all the information to get in contact. And my email is counselingwithnick at gmail.com. So, yeah, you'll find all the information on my website. Hmm. And there's, I think do you still have that nice meditation, guided meditation up there. I do, you know, you just reminded me, I, I, I told people I was going to do more, so I should probably get cracking with a, a few more guided meditations. Awesome. Well, that's where you can find it on uh, Counseling with Nick, which I'll put up on the website uh, once this podcast episode is up and going. Look, Nick, it was an absolute honor to have you on the podcast, and I'm so keen to pick your brain about a couple of other the gems that you, you mentioned before. But yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much for coming on board. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Um, Love it and uh, love your work. All right. Be well. Thanks, man. Do you want to find out more about how therapy can help you kick some goals? Go check out findreasontherapy.com.au or the Find Reason Therapy Instagram page.